so I write about music for the FT. Um, and in the past two years, I've just like obviously been writing about and seeing all of these deals made by this guy named Merck. And I kind of out of curiosity wanted to talk to this person named Barry Mazarski, who was hired by Merck to do all the valuations for these deals. And I was kind of expecting to speak to someone that was like, you know, like those like accountant type people that are just never going to say anything and completely unbiased and boring. Uh, and then what I what I encountered was something very different. Um, so he's this guy. He's been he's one of these kind of like very specialty specific type finance people. And for like 30 years, he's worked for the music industry calculating the song royalties earned when like a song is played pretty much anywhere. Um, so he's like been a known like fixture of the industry for a very long time, but was not like particularly high profile or anything like that. Uh, but fast forward to, you know, the past few years, this guy, Merck, hires him. He starts taking on a lot more responsibility because all of these deals are suddenly happening. Um, and according to them, they're controlling like more than two thirds, not controlling, but they're valuing more than two thirds of all of these deals that are happening in the market. So it's kind of his whole stature has really increased quite a lot. And it's probably worth saying like the kind of the way that people describe this guy is the Jerry Maguire thing, right, Anna? Yeah. I mean, I, I've asked. A, so I did this call with him and I was like, huh, that was kind of weird. So then I just started asking everyone I know in the music industry about this guy. And they're like, oh, yeah, Barry. And like kind of laugh a bit. Um, he's just yeah, he's very he's like kind of like a salesman type person, like super energetic, so optimistic, so kind of like everything's amazing, everything's going to be great, uh, which is not what you expect, I guess, for like a valuation agent. But maybe I should, maybe mm. I, maybe that's my own naivety. Does this guy work in Los Angeles by any chance? <laughs> he's in New York. Oh, no, I mean, he's... Okay, different yeah. energy. Yeah, it changes the image I had in my head. I was expecting sort of a Bob Evans kind of like Hollywood producer sitting by no, the pool with a big white phone no. sort of vibe, but no. Mm. This is more like a New York, like holding a pretzel kind of vibe. What's, like, ah, what's, uh, interesting. what's interesting to me is that we have our valuation <laughs> consultant, whose main like personality trait is that he is deliriously optimistic. <laughs> so people, yeah. Were, yeah, people were likening him to that guy, Dickie Fox and Jeremy Jerry Maguire. Have mm. you seen the way he's like every morning? I clap my hands every morning and say, "This is going to be a great day." Uh, <laughs> <Wonderful>. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Hancock. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Matt, yeah. So that's the. And so the, Barry, the uh, he's you say he's he's this guy. He's he's the guy who's doing the valuations of songs as yeah. assets. Because what we're talking yeah. about is the securitization uh, of, of songs as assets by private equity. And Barry's the one yeah. who decides how much it's worth. Interestingly, in your article, you say that he got his start by basically being kind of like a piracy snitch. Uh, by being like, uh, oh yeah, every time well, you yeah. download a, a a song, this is how much money Bob Dylan loses. Well, kind of. I mean, Anna will explain. Go on. Well, that's because like the industry, this is an industry that's literally been declining for more than 15 years until recently. So his job was to basically calculate like how much people were, how much money people were losing, not how much money people were making, right? Like it was, everything was basically a mess until the past five years. So yeah, his job in the past was much more kind of depressing. Um, and now it's been kind of like how much extraordinary amount of money and how how much growth is happening from these songs. So it's been a very, very different scene. I, I'm fascinated by It's that. very funny that the 
the music industry still has this like near mortal wound, the like dagger poised inches away from the heart, and you mm. pull it out, and on the handle is written LimeWire Lincoln Park Num dot exe dot avi. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of paranoia and just like insanity still. Listen, people want to know how much a song is worth. They call me. They phone me up. They say, how much for Radiohead? Call the police. I say, you taking the fucking piss here? Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's also talk uh, about the other main character in this story, uh, Merc, uh, Mercuriatus. Oh, I, yeah. I, the the permapouting Merc Mercuriatus, oh, as we have referred ooh, to him yeah. on multiple occasions. Our, yeah. the, the WhatsApp <laughs> group chat that uh, the three of us have created uh, does have a picture of Merc giving his... Um, I would say a uh, dark Varufakis uh, look. Ooh. Yeah. So, like, what if Varufakis was the opposite of Varufakis? Um, so, a guy with loads of hair. Yeah. I know. Looks like Varufakis, yeah. doesn't oh. think like him. Okay. So, tell me a little bit about, about this Merc character and where he comes in. Not a drug company, crucially. Mm. Yeah. His image is kind of haunting me in our WhatsApp chat. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. That was my fault. He's another man who's basically been in the industry for a very long time. Uh, he kind of came, he was sort of an agent. He's, he, he's worked in record labels since he was like a teenager. He's one of those types of people like obsessed with music, so emphatic about it, so like emotional about it. Um, during kind of the last cycle of this, which was like leading up to the 08 crisis, he was leading this company called Sanctuary in the UK. And it had this like great run. It became like one of the biggest indie music companies in the world. And then it kind of fell apart, which is like a fact that people often seem to not notice with this whole like second cycle with Merck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, so he's again, he's like not the same energy as Barry, but like, yeah, like very, very intense, very charismatic, very persuasive. You can kind of imagine him in meetings telling everyone how extraordinary his idea is going to be. So it makes sense that he's the type of person who would start this kind of thing. So I think let's talk a little bit about what the idea actually is. So I'm going to read from a little bit of your article. Ahem. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. Leonard Cohen sang in his 1988 hit, Everybody Knows. $75,000, no less. <laughs> Blackstone, Blackstone, the private equity titan whose uh, chief executive made more than a billion dollars last year, not only owns the right to this song, but has packaged it up with a host of others and securitized it against collateral, against hundreds of millions of dollars of debt. I got him a great deal. He bought the Leonard Cohen. He bought Sandstorm by Derude. He bought It's Chico Time by Chico, very undervalued. Also, the unreleased Anthony Costa solo album. <laughs> That's right. It's cool how this is just like another entry in the long series of things we have collateralized. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, what have we collateralized this week? And it's music. It worked so well with the debt obligations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, you were saying. Oh, no, sorry. I was just losing myself laughing at oh. Milo's. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> Lose yourself. We can't afford that. It's too expensive. <laughs> Overvalued. Yeah, that's right. I just love the idea of guys in the little jackets doing the uh, doing the sort of frantically trying to buy and sell uh, the cha-cha slide. Yeah, one of the things that Blackstone Fund <laughs> owns is Kenny Chesney, genuinely. Ooh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had some fun watching some of his songs on YouTube in the office. It's quite a weird portfolio, I'll say. It's like yeah, Nelly, Nelly Furtado, Furtado. Kenny Chesney, <laughs> uh, Justin Timberlake, which I guess is the more normal one. Yeah, it's it's quite a mix. It's like it's like one of those like CD wallets 
We just yeah. don't have like a real Blunt mix of stuff. People, yeah. are, people are paying big money for promiscuous. It's overpriced. You got to look for the <laughs> undervalued investment. I'm like a bird. No one remembers it. 2002. Where were you? No one fucking knows. Everyone remembers Justified. No one remembers like a bird. You buy that, sit on it, sell it in Albania. Here's the thing, Milo. Unfortunately, you have actually sort of stumbled upon the investment strategy oh, of the fund, no. which we'll talk about later. It's never good when I'm right. It's never good. So, <laughs> another line from the piece is, after a string of investments in the in the sector, Blackstone, and again, via these two guys, through a dynamic that we'll explore later, now earns money every time Justin Timberlake's sexy back is played in a shopping mall, whereas Apollo gets played every time Despacito is blasted in a nightclub. To which I suggest uh, that means the Alexa play Despacito meme was actually first tweeted by Leon Black. You can prove it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all ops. It's ops yeah, all the way down. Absolutely. So uh, this is what you say. Right? Securitizing songs has led to some unusual forms of financial analysis, such as a Kroll report last month that told bond investors that a cover of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah by Pentatonix, a U.S. acapella group, accounts for more than Ugh. three times as many Spotify streams as the original, as well as Jeff Buckley's cover. But when 10 different versions of the song Hallelujah are added together, they account for almost 13% of the Blackstone Music Catalog royalties. Oh, yeah. We listened to that <laughs> Pentatonix song, by the way, and that was not a fun event in my life <laughs> in my experience i actually haven't done it oh haven't you oh this no. was like one late night where we were like deep in the weeds of reporting this story we did some uh, seriously like late nights doing and, a and moment of weakness there was, there was a dark dark moment <laughs> when i was like i think i should listen to this i exercised restraint I regretted it immediately. <laughs> the thing about acapella music is, you know, I I'm, I perform at the Edinburgh Fringe every year, and there's always a lot of acapella groups there. And I think they're all they're all suffering from one core issue, which is that people have been doing music capella for a long time, <laughs> for a good reason, which is that it's better that way. <laughs> and they're like, what if it didn't have most of the music? It's like those freaks that you see eating a burger without the bun. You know, they're like, can I get that in lettuce? No, <laughs> go eat something else. <laughs> Um, I think yeah, that's just a Salisbury steak. I'm very amused but, by the idea that a cappella here means no cappella. 